So a passenger jet was suffering through a pretty intense thunderstorm. And as the passengers were being bounced around by the turbulence, a young woman turned to the minister sitting next to her, and with a nervous laugh, she asked, Reverend, you're a man of God. Can't you do something about this storm? To which he replies, Sorry, ma'am, I'm in sales, not management. (laughs) We're going to be reading something not too far off from that as we get into the story of Jonah today in the middle of this storm. Uh, We actually began reading the first part of chapter one last week, and we're going to be um, reading all of it again today as I teach on the second half, but I want us to hear it all again. Let me just say, I didn't say this last time on Jonah, and I want to start here because um, we often think, of course, about the fish or the whale or whatever we think it is in Jonah, and we're going to read about that today. And um, it's actually a very small part of the story, and I'll be talking about how that fits in today. And I do want to challenge you on this because if you have not heard this story before or if you have friends who did not grow up in Sunday school hearing this story as normal, you're going to go, this is just another example of crazy religious people believing things that don't make any sense. And I want to help you if I want to challenge you on your approach to scripture. The question I want to ask you is, is scripture designed to be a history textbook Or is scripture designed to talk to us about his story, the story of God? Is scripture designed to be a manual to teach us how to live morally? Or is scripture designed to show us how we fit into the larger story, which is God's story, not our story? And I, you probably have guessed, tend to land on the latter. And another way of framing this to think about this is when you come to Jonah, you can ask yourself the question, is this a true story, which would be a 21st century or 20th century way of asking that question, is it physically possible? And it's very interesting to talk about whether a fish could be big enough to, you know, swallow a human being, much less could they survive underwater with the air? And it's all very interesting to think about and talk about. Is it a true story? Would be the question we might ask. But the question we should be asking, is it a truth story? Does this convey a truth that transcends everything, the truth that points us to God. And ancient people and the people who originally probably wrote this down and told this story, for them it was a truth story. It was included in the scriptures because it teaches us something essential about God, not necessarily about whether a whale can swallow a human being. So as interesting as that is, I'm not going to be delving into all of that. I want you to see how that fits in to the narrative of Jonah and what that means in the story. The Lord's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their evil has come to my attention. So Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare, went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, so there was a great storm on the sea. The ship looked like it might be broken to pieces. The sailors were terrified, and each one cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to make it lighter. Now Jonah had gone down into the hold of the vessel to lie down and was deep in sleep. The ship's officer came and said to him, How can you possibly be sleeping so deeply? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God will give some thought to us and we won't perish. Meanwhile, the sailors said to each other, come on, let's cast lots so that we might learn who is to blame for this evil that is happening to us. They cast lots, 
and the lot fell on Jonah. So they said to him, tell us, since you're the cause of this evil happening to us, what do you do and where are you from? What's your country and of what people are you? He said to them, I am Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made sea and the dry land. The men were terrified and said to him, what have you done? The men knew that Jonah was fleeing the Lord because he had told them. They said to him, what will we do about you so that the sea will become calm around us? The sea was continuing to rage. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm around you. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. The men rowed to reach dry land, but they couldn't manage it because the sea continued to rage against them. So they called on the Lord saying, please, Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life and don't blame us for innocent blood. You are the Lord. Whatever you want, you can do. Then they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased its raging. The men worshiped the Lord with a profound reverence They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made solemn promises. Meanwhile, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we ask that you would help us to understand this story, um, not just with our minds, but also with our heart that we would hear your voice clearly, your spirit would speak to us and teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little, you know, quick summary of what we've been reading about with Jonah and what I talked about last week. Um, When God calls Jonah, it's this typical call we hear of the prophets, except for one big difference, which is Jonah, instead of obeying the word of the Lord, runs in the opposite direction. He's going to Tarshish, which would be near the bottom of modern-day Spain. He's going a far west as he possibly can that was known in the ancient world to the end of the earth as you might think in the opposite direction of the direction he was supposed to go which was to the capital city Nineveh of the Assyrian Empire and I talked about why some of the reasons Jonah might not want to go there probably one of the biggest reasons being that the Assyrians were a brutal and terrible people The kings were famous for flaying people alive and sticking them on stakes and dismembering them and doing all kinds of horrible, torturous things. They were a violent and brutal people, and Jonah is supposed to go tell them to turn away from their sin. So you can imagine why Jonah might not be exactly excited about this job that God has given him, so he goes the other direction. I like to give Jonah the benefit of the doubt. I like to think that he said, God said go preach to the pagans. Fine. Nineveh, I don't know, but maybe Tarshish, you know, and in ancient Hebrew time, Tarshish was an exotic port. It was thought as a place that was, um, you know, the kind of place, maybe not paradise, but the kind of place you'd like to go when you just want to get away from it all, right? It's about a year's journey to get there. It's not a short trip at that time, and of course, it's not an easy trip as the storm displays to us. The storm comes, and the scripture tells us God sent it. It's not just a random storm that happens here. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm at sea. I've never been in a large storm. I'm sure some of you have been in much larger storms than me. But I can tell you that the idea of falling asleep in the middle of a storm is a little odd. It just gives you a sense there's something going on here with Jonah, right? Something's a little bit off. 
And the sea is terrifying enough. In ancient times, without a Coast Guard or life jackets, even more terrifying. The idea that you could be tossed overboard would be horrifying. And a storm just makes it that much worse. Uh, last summer, oh, two summers ago, Cameron and I decided to take our boat to go fishing on the Snohomish River. So we launched right by us on Camino, and we're going across to Everett, and the water was glass. It was beautiful. We were debating about whether we should have been skiing and wakeboarding instead of fishing. Before we got over to Everett, the sea was absolutely raging to the point where I was high tide. I couldn't even find the jetty, which is not a fun thing when you're in a little boat. And on the way back, it was even worse. We should have just stayed over there. And our, if you've ever been in that kind of water, you know that what looks inviting and maybe even swimmable one moment can turn into something absolutely terrifying the next. And this is what these sailors are facing, but not just terrifying. They're in a wooden boat, an ancient wooden boat. So when they say they're afraid the boat may break apart, that's not hyperbole. They think the boat might actually break into pieces and they all end up in the sea. So they are absolutely scared to death. So they're throwing the cargo overboard, what once seemed to be the most important thing. The reason they were on the ocean in the first place, to sell all of these goods, is now worthless compared to their lives. They're throwing it overboard. And of course, the ship's captain comes to Jonah and tells him to pray to his God. Got to wake him up. Sometimes in life, we need a wake-up call. Sometimes God provides us wake-up calls. Sometimes they look like storms. The Holy Spirit often provides these moments, but we get to choose how to respond. God doesn't force us. Eugene Peterson, um, I've been reading his, one of his books. It's one of my favorites um, that he wrote for pastors, and it's all built around the story of Jonah. And in that book, he talks about how when he was a pastor starting a new church, that he had this moment that was a wake-up call from God. It wasn't a storm exactly, but he was feeling completely spent and worn out. He had been going like crazy, and he was leaving to um, go to a meeting, and his four-year-old son came up and said, would you read me a bedtime story, Dad? And he said, I'm sorry, I have to go to a meeting. And his four-year-old son said, Dad, this is the 36th night in a row you've gone to a meeting at the church. And that was his wake-up call. And he went to that meeting intending to quit. And it was wonderful to hear the story of how the church came around him and um, said, why do you think you need to do all this stuff? <laughs> we can do this. This is our church too. We want you to be our pastor. And it was a, a great story. He uses it all the time. But sometimes a wake-up call comes in those kinds of moments, doesn't it? A voice from a child or some other way that says, you know, there's something not quite right with the way you're living your life right now. Well, in the Jonah story, the crew casts lots to find out who's at fault. There's got to be someone who's made a God angry for this to happen. I like that uh, in the message translation, it talks about them drawing straws, and Jonah got the short straw. Our kids probably still won't understand that, but some of us will, right? It's that idea that you're, you're trying to figure this out, and so maybe the gods will use this technique, right? And so Jonah comes up with a short straw, and so they come to Jonah, and of course, um, this is exactly what Jonah did not want. A bunch of bloodthirsty, false God-worshipping, dirty, desperate pagans surrounding him and wanting to know why his God is angry with them. 
That's exactly what he was trying to avoid in Nineveh. And here he is on the ship, and he's there. But of course, and I imagine that Jonah was thinking, this is how, what I didn't want. This is going to end in my torture and my death, right? But rather than kill Jonah, what do these pagans, these terrible people do? When Jonah says, I worship the Lord who created the sea, and they're like, what? What have you done? Our gods are over in this place or that place, but your God made the sea and you made him mad? What have you done to us? But how do they respond? They say, instead of just tossing him into the sea right there, what will we do about you? So the sea will become calm around us. The sea was continuing to rage, the text says. Now, I don't know what Jonah was thinking in that moment, but I want you to notice this, because it took me a while to notice this. The text does not say, God said to Jonah, tell them to throw you into the sea. I think I often assumed that for the longest time reading the story because after all, it's a prophet of God. So whatever the prophet says must be God ordained. But this prophet is running from God. He's not wanting to speak God's words. God never says that Jonah needs to kill himself or throw himself into the sea. What is going on in Jonah's head? You would expect Jonah to respond with something like, to make the storm stop, you all need to repent and turn away from worshiping these false gods you're calling out to and worship the God of the heaven and the earth. Or maybe Jonah would say, to make the storm stop, I need to repent. You're right. I've wronged this God who made the seas. I need to repent. God, I'm sorry. I will go to Nineveh and I will preach to your people. I mean, we get the sense in the story that this is what God desires of Jonah and that won't end. You'll, we'll see this continue. So I would think that if Jonah had just done that, the sea would have stopped. But Jonah is absolutely terrified, I believe. There may be other reasons, but he does not want to do what God has asked him to do. And by the way, also notice that there is no indication that if Jonah goes into the ocean, that he thinks a fish is going to come rescue him. None. I think it's saying that suicide is on his mind. That Jonah would rather die than take on the difficult task that God wants, or rather die than face something perhaps worse, some kind of torture at the hands of these pagans. He'd just rather get it over with. That's not the last time in the story we will be told that Jonah would rather just die. I love that in the um, Common English Bible, the text we've been reading, reading if you have it in uh, your Bible app or you have it in the printed form, you know that the, um, the translators of these texts, they'll add in like chapter titles that aren't part of the original text. And the chapter title for this part before Jonah gets swallowed is No Escape for the Prophet. In other words... Even jumping into the sea didn't provide the escape that Jonah wanted because the God who created the fish of the sea brings a fish to take him where he's supposed to go. No escape for the prophet. Now, two interesting things happen at this point in the story. Number one, the godless pagans don't want to hurt Jonah. Did you see how they responded when Jonah said, you should throw me into the sea? They rowed. They all got on the oars. They said, uh, no, 
we're going to try to get you to shore. We'll at least leave you there. We'll be decent people and get you off our boat, right? And they try and they try and they try, but the sea is raging and they can't do it. So these horrible pagans that Jonah is afraid of preaching the gospel to, they try to do the right thing while the prophet continues to do the wrong thing, right? The second thing that happens is that despite Jonah's ongoing rebellion and disobedience to God, he's not doing anything that God is asking him to do. Despite all of that, God still uses him as a prophet. What happens in the story? This entire boat full of sinners, this entire boat full of pagan other God worshipers, they turn to the one true God out of reverence, it says. They believe. They see everything that's happened. They turn to this God, and Jonah's jumping overboard, being swallowed by a fish, the sea calming, the whole thing, it becomes a a witness of a miracle and a witness of grace. This angry God didn't just have him killed. He just brought a a biological ship to take him away. Now, maybe they thought he was dead anyway. I don't know, but, but they experience grace. They're not punished. They're not killed. And they turn to God and worship. Imagine the stories those sailors tell as they travel around the world. Do you know the Hebrew God, one who made heaven and earth? Let me tell you a story about that God, right? God still uses Jonah as his prophet, even though Jonah is against it in every way. This is the truth, I think, that comes through in the story more clear than anything else. And the truth is that God continues the work of salvation often in spite of us. God continues his work in spite of us. Don't you dare use the excuse that you're not good enough, that somehow you're not smart enough, that you're not moral enough, that you fail too often, you're not educated enough for God to use you. Those are all lies of the evil one. They are not God's message. The truth we see in Scripture over and over and over again is that God uses ordinary people. God uses rebellious people. God uses broken people to do his work. Jonah is totally unwilling, and God's still using him. Just imagine, and we'll get to see what happens when you are willing. There is, in the New Testament, one really important mention of Jonah. I'm sure some of you are thinking of this already. This is from Matthew 12, beginning in verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh, They will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Now, of course, what happens often with this text is we do these crazy contortions to try to make Jesus fit into the three days, three nights in the tomb thing and to make it all work because Jonah was three days and three nights and we miss the point entirely. When Jesus says, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, It's not about the time frame that he's in the belly. It's a connection back to the story 
in what happens in the story. In the Jonah story, both the religious leader, which is the prophet Jonah, and the Gentile outsiders, these idol-worshiping boat crew of pagans, all of them are saved by God's grace. All of them. No one dies. No one's punished. The storm does stop once Jonah is overboard and the sailors are saved. And God does save Jonah even after it appears that he's entering the jaws of death when he throws himself, or they throw him into the sea. Why did Jonah not just jump off the boat? He made them do it. I mean, this, this guy has got some issues, right? <laughs> but in Jesus' story, he's the fulfillment of all of the prophets. And Jesus is pointing back to Jonah and saying, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. I will fulfill this story. Jesus does what Jonah could not do. He willingly and obediently suffers and is tortured at the hands of sinners, even on the cross. This true prophet, the one true prophet, Jesus, he fulfills all the prophets. He is saved from death, like Jonah, but the difference is this time Jesus really dies and just comes back, right? And in Jesus, not just one prophet and not just a boatload of sinners, but all of Israel and all of the Gentiles are saved and reconciled with their God. And not just at one point in time, not just back in, then, but now as well. The sign of Jonah. The story continues today because Jesus is still saving false God-worshipping sinners and disobedient and selfish saints. The work goes on. Now, all of us have faced times in our life when we simply wanted to escape. I don't blame Jonah. I love the fact that Jonah strikes me as an authentic story of a prophet who is not exactly thrilled with the task God has given him. Sometimes we want to escape from God. Sometimes we want to escape all the sinners around us. Sometimes we want to escape to an exotic land where nobody knows us and we could just start fresh again. Sometimes we want to escape life. The story of suicide is present here in Jonah, and I think it's important that we just point that out. That there are many Christians who have thought about taking their own life. There are many Christians who have taken their own life. Suicide is not the answer that people sometimes might be tempted to think it is. And if you or somebody you know has ever thought of that or you know someone who is thinking of that, do not ignore it. Don't keep it a secret. Talk to someone. Come talk to me. Let me know. God is still bringing life where we see only death. So we've often all faced times in our life when we just wanted to escape. The sign of Jonah that we're reading today is the truth and it reminds us that we know one who can save. We know one who does save. Jesus will never abandon you. Jesus is never going to allow your life to be meaningless, even if you try your best to rebel against God's will. Jesus will move heaven and earth for you, even if that means calling up some giant fish to help out. God can do it. Let's pray.
Lord, we want to be in relationship with you, our holy God, knowing that we have no right, we have no standing, but because of the work of Jesus, we are reconciled with you and you hear our call for help. Lord, you know our temptation to escape the troubles of our life. And we ask, God, that you would help us in the most difficult areas. That we would sense and know your presence working in and through us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.